Caitlin Clark is the all-time leading scorer in NCAA women's basketball history. She needed eight points to pass Kelsey Plum. She scored the first eight points for Iowa last night. She broke the record on a three-pointer from the logo in transition, which means Danny lost his bet. Uh, he had Caitlin Clark breaking the record on a two-point field goal. Uh, Danny, you know when I knew you were in trouble. Before the game, they were playing some uh, interviews with Caitlin Clark, and she apparently said she wanted to do it on a three from the logo. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I saw that quote after the game. Yeah. Uh, so Danny lost his bet. Not only did Caitlin Clark break the all-time scoring record, she also set her own career high and the Iowa career high with 49 points last night. Well, she got the eight. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing to go for, for almost 50 points on night you need eight to break the record. Yeah. She is one of the most entertaining basketball players in the country right now across all levels. Anybody who's pulling up and transition from the logo – and I'm, nailing I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. Michigan, of that. I can't believe that they don't know to defend a half-court shot. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Danny is the only person outside of the Michigan women's basketball team that is disappointed she pulled up from the logo right. to break the record. Absolutely. That is, that is the outside of like a game winner, which yeah. she needed eight, so that wasn't going to happen. That's like the best way it could happen. Like, I, if she had hit a three from like – a foot or two behind the free, the three point line. Fine, cool. You, you made it with the three. Bet anyway, Danny. That's fine. Let lose it in the coolest way possible. It was literally in transition. Lose it in she the coolest way possible, Danny. Nine feet across That's the half great. court line. Why is that bad? That is ridiculous. That's awesome. And that is awful defense by Michigan. No, they, it's awful not. defense. She's at the logo. Exactly. <laughs> she needs to be picked up. The moment she steps in the no, building. then she just dribbles past you and gets a layup. No, the moment she steps in the building, a Michigan defender should have been there. <laughs> Walk her to her locker. Walk her. Let her get dressed. The moment she comes out of her locker room, you're all, you're back on her again. No wonder Danny's volleyball team's never won a set. I like Danny's bet. It's a, it's a great bet. Like, the, like the, bet. the prop itself. Right. Danny lost the bet, so it's hilarious. Right. I'm going to do it in another 99 yeah. points as well. I, I think it's a, it's a great bet. Um, do... Uh, I don't know if anybody in Vegas does it, but I'm sure like FanDuel and DraftKings do it. When they offer like first basket of an NBA game and you get mm -hmm. to pick a player or whatever, do they offer like LeBron James first basket will be two point, three point, or free throw? Um, I think some markets you can do it to okay. that extent. Okay. Usually, it's either pick a player or pick a type. Okay, because that's like degenerate stuff, but for big moments, I think it's. It's a cool bet. Like anytime we have a like when LeBron broke the uh, NBA scoring record, yeah, we sh they should have had that too if they did. It, well, they so. did have uh, with that one. They actually broke it down into what game he would do it, what quarter he would do it, and how he would do it. So yeah. you could do it three different ways. Just do it every time. It's great. It's a great bet. Next question. Women watched the Super Bowl in record numbers. According to the Sports Business Journal, women accounted for 47.5% of the total audience of the Super Bowl. That is the highest percentage that women have accounted for the total audience of the Super Bowl. Uh, Taylor Swift? Yeah, I think he'd be crazy not to think that she yeah. had some kind of influence, and especially with younger viewers. Yeah, the highest... Um, how do they phrase this? The highest growing... Um, 
category of audience was like women under the age of 30 right. that watched the Super Bowl right. this year that usually don't watch it, which I think we can directly attribute to Taylor Swift. Obviously, you can't just get Taylor Swift to to be a fan of your league, but is there any way the NFL or other leagues actually learn from this? I mean, they might want to learn from it, but I think it would be difficult depending on you're hoping someone of her level comes on to your well starts i guess you have to figure out other ways to appeal to women because we talk about these leagues wanting to grow their fan bases and their audiences the nfl is going to brazil and they're going to play eventually we're going to have 30 games in europe every single year right we talked yesterday about the nba and how if they go to mexico city it's a whole market of of millions of people that may not pay any attention to the nba but here in the United States, there's an entire half the damn population is an entire market that don't really pay as much attention to these leagues. And conceivably, you can grow your audience if you can just appeal to women in America. And obviously, yes, you can't get Taylor Swift. But I wonder if other leagues can figure out ways to be more appealing. Wouldn't to they have done the that population. by now? If you if you talk to a lot of women in sports, just simply about the merchandise that is for sale for fans. Women are like, none of this stuff is what I would wear. Like, yeah, you sell jerseys and t-shirts, but that's it. Because that's all, like, I wear. It's all that Danny would wear. But for women, and there's like, what, do, what you think I'm just going to buy a jersey and a t-shirt? And that's the only thing? Like, I no, I don't think leagues have even considered it to a high enough level to actually have implemented important things. If Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey were to break up would the nfl ask them to put on a show and pretend that they're still together so they don't lose viewership no no because the nfl's still fine either way you don't think they would lose all those taylor swift fans yeah but like if the chiefs don't make the super bowl they'd lose them all too well they'd also lose viewership yeah so maybe that's it was scripted the chiefs won the super bowl because of taylor swift taylor swift turned down doing super bowl halftime so she started dating an NFL player who went to the Super Bowl, so she'd be there anyways. Conspiracy. Next question. The Oakland A's. They signed a player, Scott Alexander. He's a 34-year-old reliever. He had a 4.66 ERA with San Francisco last year, but his career ERA is 3.29. But you know what's more interesting than the actual player? The A's tweeted out an announcement of signing Scott Alexander, and they turned off replies. Yeah, because they... Anything they do now is going to be met with uh, negative responses and skepticism and all of that. They're not going to – even the diehard A's fans are so mad that they're moving, probably can't get themselves to be happy about Scott Alexander. Even even when they're just – poor Scott Alexander, people are just going to rip the A's on the welcome Scott Alexander I mean, tweet? I don't know if they – it's against Scott Alexander. I think it's against the franchise. It is. Uh, the A's have sent out three more tweets from spring training because pitchers and catchers have reported. Replies are off to all three of those tweets as yeah. well. And they're just – literally, one of them just says, spring has sprung, and it's pictures of players throwing and stuff at spring training. And they have got the replies off. They, yeah, is, they just don't Is a Major League Baseball it. team going to have the replies off on their tweets for an entire four years? These guys might. Oh, my God. These guys might. Four years of not being able to reply to Oakland A's tweets because they're afraid somebody might say, sell the team, John Fisher. Right. Just wait till the fans show up. Who? Okay. Who do you think made that decision? The head of PR. 
Like, John Fisher doesn't well, know about turning replies off the tweets. I think the head of PR might have had to run it past Cobble. And say, hey, we're, we're getting we're a bunch be, of hate tweets. Yeah, exactly. Because you guys are morons and made right. everybody angry. I don't know if it got to Fisher's level about replies on Twitter. Well, actually, wouldn't it be like... I don't know. Would, do you think they would have to go up to Cobble? Or would that just be a PR decision? Because, I mean, it's not... It's not something huge that would affect the franchise. It's just their social media department. Um, I think anything because this is we're talking about it. It's going to get negative responses when people realize they can't reply. Yeah, that I think you'd probably run it past them that you're going to turn off your replies on Twitter. Not Fisher. Maybe maybe they Cavill and Fisher wanted them to do it. Be like, all right, take some heat off of me. Everybody's calling me an idiot. You turn right. the replies off so they can yell about the Twitter right. account instead of me. Man, you know, that's a great question. I apparently am now a fan of the LA Chargers because they hired Andy Bischoff, who will be the run game coordinator and tight ends coach. Andy Bischoff has apparently been a coach in the NFL since 2013, and I didn't know about it. So I have failed Andy Bischoff. But now I'm a Chargers fan, I guess, specifically the run game and the tight ends. So rooting on Eckler. Uh, he's not there anymore. He's very slow. Uh, he's not very good. So, no, I'll be rooting on whoever they pick up as an undrafted Joshua free agent. Kelly. Is he still there? I think they might all be free agents for all I know. Um, <laughs> they got rid of their run department. They just so said that's it's why. gone. It's that's gone. why they brought in Bischoff? Yeah. Jim Harbaugh's going to draft rebuild Blake Corum. So, Andy Bischoff, best coach in the NFL. I don't know why nobody's hired him as a head coach yet. I mean, he's clearly been a great coach. He's gotten he got a job under Jim Harbaugh, so he must be phenomenal. He's been so great. He's been under the radar. People right. didn't know he was around. They should do what the Patriots did with Gerard Mayo and just write into his contract that he's, he's, the successor. he's a successor to yeah. Jim Harbaugh. So when Harbaugh retires, Andy Bischoff just takes over and wins a Super Bowl. I'm out. Rob Manfred will retire as the commissioner of Major League Baseball in January of 2029. That is when his current contract expires. Here's the interesting part on the A's. He's, like, not even going to be around for the A's relocation. Like, if the A's are on time, he'll be the commissioner for the very first season of the A's right. in Vegas. Does he care at all about what happens to the A's then? No. Not a chance. <laughs> I mean, if you listen to his comments, he's been all for this, right? Yeah. He's been all for the relocation. Yeah, he's in full support of one of his owners wanting to move. Right. Which generally commissioners are right if an owner yes. says I, I need to move well and, especially given the situation in Oakland yeah and especially when you get public money from a different city right it's like oh we should go there but like if you're Manfred if you're retiring in January of 2029 why do you care what the A's do like yeah for well you. what are the odds it's even built in 2029 yeah exactly there's a chance he doesn't even see the A's play in Vegas as commissioner uh so I don't know. Maybe maybe he cares a little bit and he doesn't want to have just a complete mess because he'll be answering questions about it for until there's actually right. some answers around there. But I don't know. If I was Rob Manfred, I'd be like, I don't care what the A's do. Let them do whatever they want. They want to play in Salt Lake? Sounds great. Yeah. I'm not going to be leaving. around. What do you think? The NFL will play in Spain in the future. They're going to play at Real Madrid Stadium in Madrid, Spain. Um, how many different countries can the NFL play in in one season? Uh, in one season? Apparently a lot. We're getting... England, Germany, Spain, Brazil, Mexico? Yeah, Spain will be the following season. So this year we're getting England, Germany, Brazil. Are they doing a Mexico game too? No, I, I think remember. that was no. 25. Okay, yeah. but they have obviously in the past done quite a few Mexico games. Oh, is that one? Yeah. Raiders. I mean, 
they're going to go to like France and Italy, right? Eventually at some point. So we're talking, they can probably play in five, six different European countries. Mexico's possible. I don't think they care about Canada, but Canada's obviously pretty easy if they wanted to do that. South America now. Can they do Asia or Australia? Or is the time zone just too difficult to do in the middle of a season? No chance. I don't know if they care about the time zone if it makes them money. <laughs> I don't care if they I don't know if they care about their players being tired if it makes them money. That's all they care about is making money. There's no way they could and with the money aspect, they would lose out on a ton of viewers. I mean, we saw during the World Cup, most of those games started at midnight or 2 a.m. our time. Ah, the NFL wouldn't lose any money. You think you think East Coast people yeah. are waking up at three o'clock in the morning? Yeah, to but they're watch not their team. But they're gonna if they put a game in Japan. If there's a game in Tokyo, they're making so much more money than whatever right. they might lose on the TV for one game. We won't even notice in America because they'll just pull a game out of the 10 a.m. time slot, right? Where there's seven of them. Like, oh, there's only six games. They we, we won't even notice. But they'll get if they put a game in Tokyo, they'll make so much money off of that. Or even just Australia, you put one in Sydney or something like that, they'll make. But th- again, I don't know if the time zones make it entirely possible for them to actually do that in the middle of a season. Like it feels like it would have to be first game of the year type situation, right? So it, would, not- it would almost have to be. We've added a second bye week, first game of the year. These two teams are playing in Tokyo, and then they have a bye in week two, and then they get their second right. bye actually later in the season. But I don't even know if that's possible. Or they'd have to take, like, instead of the first game of the year being the Super Bowl champs at home, they play one game a week earlier, and it's like week zero of college football. We say, hey, you know, the Ravens are going to play, I don't know who they play this year, the Chargers right. in Sydney. And then you guys get week one off because you played in week zero. Ah, I don't know. Or they they do what the NFL is doing this upcoming season. They have a standalone Friday game, the Brazil game. It's week one on Friday, which is weird. That doesn't help, though. You got to give people time to recover. You know how much the players will complain if they've got to go play in Tokyo on a Sunday (sighs) and then turn around and play the next Sunday somewhere else? Taylor Swift did it. She She played played in Tokyo. Yeah, she didn't have to play again. She just chugged a beer. Yeah, but she played in Tokyo and was here less than 24 hours later. Then she went to Australia, right? I don't know where she I is. I think she went to Australia. We totally that. stopped caring as soon as the Super Bowl ended. Yeah. I think she's in Australia. Oh, good for her. So, yeah, there That's you go. You travel. can play in Tokyo, Vegas, and Sydney in three straight weeks. Right. Just Oof. like Taylor Swift did it. Make it happen. That's the Raiders' future schedule. <laughs> Tokyo against the Bengals, Vegas against the Chiefs, and then Sydney against the Lions. <laughs> be a hell of a three-week <laughs> run. Coming up next, we get into the Golden Knights and if there could be a fun trade for a former Golden Knight before the deadline. Right wing shot. Mark Stone from the right side cranks one, and Vegas is back within a goal. 10-20 to go, third period. You're listening to the Press Box on 100.9 FM and 1100 AM. According to the Washington Post, the Golden Knights have had scouts at the last five Washington Capitals games. Uh, good website, RussianMachineNeverBreaks.com, that covers the Capitals. Uh, wrote a story about this and tried to take a stab at which players the Golden Knights might be interested in. One is Anthony Mantha, who makes $5.7 million. He's going to be a free agent after this season, so the Capitals 
you conceivably trade guys that are expiring because they're not going to be on your team the following season. Um, he's got 16 goals, 10 assists, and 48 games, plays on the wing, uh, could potentially help the Golden Knights. But the more interesting name that Russian Machine never breaks throughout is Max Pacioretty. He is also expiring because he is coming off the Achilles injury. Achilles injury. He just came back. He's only played 17 games this season. Um, I think he played five last year before that injury. So he's been out for a while. He's only making $2 million. Now, he's only scored one goal in 17 games. He has not been an ultra-productive winger since his return. I haven't watched the Capitals. I don't know how good he looks at all. He might look terrible, and this might be a bad idea. But those are the two names thrown out that the Golden Knights could be looking at because presumably if the Golden Knights are going to make a trade at the deadline, it's going to be for a winger. Right, they don't okay. really, unless unless like Eichel's done for the year. Eichel, Carlson, Stevenson, Wall. They don't really need another center, and then they've got ninety four defensemen. Zach Whitecloud got right. healthy, scratched in a game, right. so I don't know that they're going to really want to add a defenseman again, unless there's some significant injuries. So if they add somebody, winger makes sense. These are both wingers. Bring him back, Patch ready. Bring him back. So. He's a little old, hasn't played. I mean, he's played. Achilles are hard injuries. Yeah, I think there's a real chance that it's just like, yeah, there's not much there. But I think the the positive or why maybe it could be uh, possible to happen, his salary's two million dollars. I mean, hell, you could probably get the Capitals to retain half of it if you needed to, and now it's it's a one million million dollar deal. I mean, it's basically nothing against your cap, so it'd be very easy to make space for that. Um, we'll see what they do with long-term IR, who's on it, who's not on it when we get to the deadline, but it looks like they're not going to use anymore because Shea Theodore is going to come back and then it's only Jack Eichel as far as significant contracts go. So that might be a guy they trade for just because salary cap-wise it's really easy to fit in. But again, you know, if they've got scouts at the game, the scouts might be saying, oh, he's done. Right, like he's got nothing left. Right. Like he wouldn't help us at all. Or maybe they're saying, "Yeah, he hasn't scored, but we think he's got something. We think he could actually be productive." But that was interesting. Bring back Patcheretti. So Mantha would take a hit on the cap, five point seven. Yeah, they'd have to do. They'd have to do something. They'd have to do something. Um, that something could be Jack Eichel long term IR for the rest of the season and bring him back for game one <laughs> of the playoffs. They've been known to do that with like good they did players. with Mark Stone last year. And then, by the way, if they do that, that's $10 million. They can get Mantha, they can get right. Mantha and Patcher right. right. They can get both of them. Um, but, yeah, they'd have to do something significant to get a guy making $5 million as opposed to two. And, by the way, the Capitals could retain salary on salary. Mantha as well. The play, right. A team can retain half of the salary, so they could retain uh, almost $3 million of that and make it a lot easier for the Golden Knights to bring it under the cap situation there. So... We'll see what they do. I have to imagine the Golden Knights have scouts at a lot of teams' games. Um, between now, the deadline is March 8th, first or second week of March. I think it's March 8th. So we've got half a month, three weeks until we get Find to out what they're gonna do. the trade deadline. So I have to imagine they've got scouts at a lot of games. Yeah, I don't know about Pacioretty. That's a hard injury to come back from. He's got one goal in 17 games. He's a little, yeah. like you say, he's a little older. I don't. I know what he makes, but I don't know how much he'd help him. You're probably better off giving your own guys – who they have the right now, the minutes. Right. Probably better off. Now, maybe the Golden Knights don't believe in, in their own wingers at this moment. They're like, oh, these guys are bums. we got to get them out of here. But I think you're better off than, than going with Pacioretty. Uh, 
with just the guys you have on the roster. And if you want to make a move, figure out a way to get, you know, Anthony Mantha or somebody who's right. probably more trustworthy or reliable to go produce for you um, this season. The Golden Knights, uh, they still don't play tonight, but they play on Saturday. And that starts a stretch of five games in eight days. They play Carolina on Saturday. They go to San Jose on Monday. And then they're home against Nashville on Tuesday, Toronto on Thursday. And then they go to Ottawa next Saturday, which, by the way, is the start of a five-game road trip. Only two of those five teams in the next eight days are in a playoff spot, Carolina and Toronto. How many of those five do you think the Golden Knights win? Uh, let me see here. Should Carolina, I ask you? Should no. we, should we One, ask how many two, guys still have the flu? I will say in the five they go three and two. Three and two. Yeah, two, two and one. Okay. Um, how many games will Aiden Hill play of those five? Three. He has played every game since he came back from injury. Now it's only three, so there hasn't been a lot. Is and Logan Thompson still sick? You know, that that we don't know. If he's still <laughs> sick, then yes, Aiden Hill might play all five. five. Um, I'm assuming Logan Thompson won't be sick for the next eight days. They have one back-to-back in that five and eight You're going to say one. Presumably, Aiden Hill would not play both nights right. of a back-to-back, but they have done that with Logan Thompson and stuff. I am going to guess they play him in four of the five. Okay. And I think they should play him in three of the five because, yes, they're in a, in a division race and all of that, but I think they need to make sure Aiden Hill's healthy for the postseason. Like, he just came back from an injury, an injury, by the way, that he re-aggravated two different times when he was trying to come back the first and second right. time. So I think it would be I think it would be a little irresponsible to play him in four of the next five games, given how congested it is. Because that would be him playing four times in eight days. He's basically playing every other night for eight straight days. And oh, by the way, they end that by going on a five-game road trip. So... I think they should only play him three times and give Thompson a couple games. Or even if Thompson is sick, give Yuri Patera a game or two. You'll be fine if Yuri Patera has to play a couple of games here and there. But if I had to guess, he plays in four of them. And just doesn't play the back-to-back. Yeah, that would be my guess because I – Which means you can throw someone else against Nashville. Yeah. I, yeah. San Jose and Nashville, you can throw someone else out. Yeah, they're not very good. Um, which, for whatever reason, coaches do this. I think they get, I think they get caught up in the the moment of seasons where they're like oh we we got to win every game right it'll be november it'll be february and then we, we got to win every game we can't afford to slip up here so we got to play our goalie every single night i think coaches get caught up in that a lot more than they should especially when a team is like the golden knights are gonna make the playoffs yes I, it's probably like 91 percent or something so technically they can still miss it but they're gonna make the playoffs it's just a matter of where their seating is which by the way vancouver won again last night they're now 12 they're, points ahead of yeah. Vegas. Now, Golden Knights have two in hand, but they're 12 points ahead of the Golden Knights. Like, they're they're about to run away with the division. I'm trying to see where their closest is. Well, okay, Edmonton's kind of come back now. They lost another one. Yeah, they lost last night. So they lost last night. So they're five back. They're five back. And three in hand on, which, by the way, they've got five in hand on Vancouver. Right. Who's making these damn schedules? The Golden Knights are about to play five and eight games, and they've played three more times than Edmonton. But by this time next week, they'll have played like six more games than Edmonton. Yeah, but at least they'll have rest towards the end of the season. I guess. Edmonton's going to be playing a bunch of back-to-backs, and VGK is going to play two games in eight days. And they'll probably be like, that's why we lost. We Not enough we play. Yeah, we were too rested. 
It'll be like the damn Dodgers in the playoffs. It's like, oh, these days off, unbelievable. <laughs> you keep coming back to that. Keep All right. coming back to that. Coming up next, EJ Raddick joins us from the NHL Network. Dropped up to Lilligan. The Flyers making a late change as Lilligan lines in. Walks in, feeds a cross. Joining us now from NHL Network, it's EJ Raddick. Good morning, EJ. Thanks for joining Hi, us. Good morning, guys. How you doing today? Good. We here in Vegas obviously uh, pay attention to the Pacific Division, but I, I would say it'd be fair to, that we have a blind spot and that we pay a lot of attention to the Golden Knights, and we've probably focused more on the Oilers than any other opponent. Are the Vancouver Canucks actually this good? Because they don't seem to be going away at all. No, they're really good. <laughs> they are really good. You know what they have? They have the elements that you need to be successful. I mean, they have a really good goaltender in Thatcher Demko is healthy this year. Um, they have a, a, actually good depth to that position because Casey DeSmith has come in and been a good number two for their team. Uh, they've they've built up their defense. I mean, the last couple of years, the roster they had star players. They have the guys that you're hearing about this year, like Quinn Hughes, who's having an unbelievable year, could win the Norris Trophy. Elias Pettersson, J.T. Miller, Brock Besser is kind of back to the player that we remember when he first came into the league. He's having a career season. Um, you know, they have those pieces, both you know, as a number one defenseman and some really players, very high end offensive players. What they didn't have was something you guys have in Vegas. Is they don't they didn't have the really depth around their team. From 1 to 12 is a group of forwards, and from 1 to 6 is a group of defensemen. In the offseason, they really added to their defense, and actually during the season as well. They've also added uh, several different forwards to their team. So they just have a deeper, better, stronger team right now. They've had one of these regular seasons where everything has gone right. They haven't had very many injuries. There hasn't been much adversity. We'll see what happens when we get uh, down the stretch into the playoffs, but you know what? They're a dangerous team, and it's not uh, when I look at their, their group, as a whole, it's really not surprising that they're playing as well as they are. So we, uh, and to continue on the fact that we have a blind spot on the Canucks, uh, Golden Knights have only played them once this year. They play three more times before the season ends. But yep. we've talked a lot about on this show, like the Oilers and the Golden Knights, how they matched up last year, how they match up this year, what a potential playoff series could look there. And it's fun because you've got a lot of depth on one side and obviously the star power of the Oilers. What do you think a Vancouver-Vegas playoff series would look like? and Thatcher Dimko almost beat the Golden Knights by himself. What do you think that yeah. would look like if they match up in the postseason? Yeah, that was, that was interesting. And, there's, you know, again, several of those players are similar players. I mean, in Vancouver, it's just they didn't have anywhere near the depth. And that series, if you remember, it was kind of one-sided, but it still ended up, I think, going seven games yep. Yep. because of the fact that the goaltending was holding the Canucks in. I mean, I think some of the games, the shots were like 50 to 15. <laughs> and... And, uh, and and Vancouver was finding a way to hang in because of their goaltending. I think it'll be an interesting series. I think, as always, if the, if they get to play in the playoffs, um, I think what you would have is uh, a really hard series with two teams that have pretty deep rosters. Vegas gets the edge because they have the experience factor, and I think they're just a little harder to play against, maybe a lot harder to play against. I mean, they're the Stanley Cup champions from last year. Their, their defense, when healthy, is big and strong, and Aiden Hill, I think, is has arrived as a, as a high-end goalie. He's already won a Stanley Cup. So, again, that's something that, uh, you know, there's only, there's only a handful of guys in the league that can, that can say that as goalies going into the playoffs this year that they've, they've been able to go through the tournament and win the Stanley Cup. 
Um, but I think it could be a very interesting, um, very interesting series if they get together. Just because Vegas, uh, I mean, because Vancouver does have a deeper team now, and they do have good goaltending, they have the ability to score in in games that I would imagine would be close one goal games. So uh, the thing I would say about the Canucks right now is just that it has been one of those kind of magic carpet ride seasons, and. Uh, I think we saw it to some degree for the Bruins last year with very little went wrong during the regular season. And then in the final week, they got a couple of injuries and then they ended up having a bad matchup and, you know, the rest was history. So we'll see how things play out for Vancouver. But I, I would think it would be a really good, entertaining, hard series for, for both teams. And, you know, I don't think uh, it would be beyond Vancouver to, to beat Vegas in the seven-game series. I think uh, I think that much of their roster. Uh, his numbers have been pretty incredible. He won, like you said, he won a cup. But is Aiden Hill considered in the hockey world among the best goalies? Um, we see we see polls out there where he, you know, he's rated the tenth and twelfth best goalie. What what do people really think about Aiden Hill? You think around the league? Well, I mean, I can't speak for everybody else. I just know when I watch him, he's really good. And and uh, you know, I follow his career. Uh, uh, a good friend of mine is a scout. It was a scout in Arizona. He was that chief scout, Tim Bernhardt. And he was part of the group that drafted Aiden Hill down there. And always liked him. And Aiden, you know, was went from Arizona to San Jose and then got his opportunity to really play with a really good team. And, you know, we've seen what's happened. He's matured into, uh, you know, one of the best goalies in the league. And, and maybe the guy that starts for Team Canada next year at that four you know, the four nations face-off that they're, they're going to have next February and play for his country. I mean, he might be a guy that plays for their Olympic team in two years and is the starting goalie. He's he's big. He's uh, He doesn't get rattled. Um, he's played in big moments. Um, you know, for me, he's one of the, you know, he's a top goalie. I mean, he's like a top five, six goalie in the league. I mean, you know, again, there's not a lot of guys that have won the Cup. In those big moments, he played very well. And uh, you know to go back to for, for Vegas, you know to you know I give the I give the Vegas Golden Knights management group from George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon and all the way through the, the the biggest thing I can say is they just understand how to find hockey players. I mean they really do. And you through you look through the roster and they find that they found a number of players that have been really good fits for their team. And Aiden Hill was no different. I mean anybody could have found Aiden Hill last year when he was in San Jose before the season and. You know, it wasn't like people were, were, were saying, hey, boy, we've got to go out and get this Aiden Hill. You know, I mean, he was kind of someone that was drifting around the league and trying to find his way. And, you know, as they've done in a number of cases, they identified a player that they thought had a lot of potential. They brought him in, and, boy, they were bang on because he's been a really good goalie. Uh, I don't know how well you could answer this question, but from a scout's perspective, what do you think it feels like if you say, all right, we think this guy's going to be good, we draft him, then he bounces around a couple of teams, and then a few years later, he's a superstar for another team. Is that still a win, even if it's not on your team for a scout? Well, well, for for Tim Bernhardt, who's retired now, right? Like it's not as it's not, it's a win. I, I think for all the scouts, when the scouts, you know, look at players and they draft guys, and you know, even if they have them on their list and maybe they don't win the battle internally to draft the player, or he gets drafted ahead. I think the scouts always feel vindicated when players that they like or that, you know, more, more importantly, that they get to draft right. play well. Whether it's with their organization or with someone else, they could point to the fact that, you know, hey, we were right about this player. And maybe it just didn't work out with one particular organization, but we, the thing, what we saw in this player proved to be right. And it's such a hard 
business scouting amateur hockey players because you got to remember you're watching those kids as an amateur scout maybe you know the very high end of those guys from 15 16 17 and you know then you're, you're trying to evaluate what they're going to be you know two three five years later as they grow and develop it's such a it's such a tough job and you know you're going all over north america and now you're traveling all over the globe and trying to you know find those those pieces. So I, I would say that, you know, that, that, that scouts are always feel vindicated, always feel good about players that they like, or they drafted finding their way. It's disappointing if they're beating you in big <laughs> games, but, uh, you know, I think the scouts always feel like that. Yes. You know, yeah, that was, we were right about that guy and, and they feel good about that. EJ, I don't know how much you pay attention to uh, Major League Baseball, but one of the fun stories of the start of spring training is that the players do not like the new jerseys that Fanatics is producing. Um, and Fanatics is going to be producing the NHL jerseys for next season. Are we going to get the same type of stories when we get to training camp of next year in the NHL? They're like, wait a minute, what's going on with the jerseys? Well, that'll be interesting, right? I mean, because there's been a lot of discussion about that from fans who uh, dealt with, you know, fanatics over the years, and now they're branching into something bigger and applying the jerseys for the for the various professional sports leagues, right? So it, it's funny. I just talked to uh, someone from the NHL who's involved with the merchandising there, and uh, you know, told me a little bit of the backstory. And the feeling they have is that you know they've been, you know, when they put the deal together, they let you know, fanatics know it's like, hey, this is we expect a certain level of quality with these jerseys, and they have the same. You know, within the NHL, they apparently have the same team of people involved with the the production and and with the, I guess you would say quality control. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, I was told that it should be seamless. But you know, I guess in baseball they thought it would be seamless too, and it hasn't been so far. So I guess. I guess we'll see how that plays out, but it is, uh, you know, it, it's amazing when you really think about it because these sports are such, I mean, multi-billion dollar businesses now and uniforms are so very important to the to the business. And, uh, you know, we'll see if, if there's any changes with the baseball and we'll have to see what happens with the hockey when that happens. Well, he is EJ Raddick of NHL Network. And EJ, just to let you know, Game 5, 2020, second round, Vegas outshot Vancouver 43-17. Vancouver won the game 2-1. to one. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I I, I remember. Uh, I do remember that because it was kind of. It just was crazy to me that. And I think that Jacob Markstrom was still in Vegas, and he might have played early in that series, and then Demko had to come in because Markstrom was uh, was injured or was dealing with an issue, and and Demko came in and played very well, and that created, you know, the situation for Vancouver moving forward about whether or not they were going to resign. Uh, Marsham, he ended up going to Calgary. Demko has emerged as a terrific goalie, but uh, yeah, that was a that was a one sided series. I would suggest if they were to play again this year, if all parties are healthy on each side, I don't think you'll see games like that. I think you'll see much more competitive games. But uh, I still think when they're whenever when everybody's healthy in this league, I still think the Vegas Golden Knights are the best team. But this is a hard it's a hard journey to win four rounds and to win the sixteen games. So it'll be. We'll see how healthy and, and how uh, how everybody's playing come middle of April. EJ Raddick from NHL Network. Thanks, EJ. Thanks, EJ. Hey, you got it, guys. Have a great one. So there's EJ Raddick from the NHL Network. Uh, we, I, well, honestly, I feel like I haven't paid attention to the Canucks at all. 
Well, it's funny because every time we have someone on, one of the first questions is, how good are these right. guys? Right, <laughs> because I feel like I haven't watched them. They've only played Vegas once. Right. They're going to play right. three more times right. for the season, and so we're going we'll to know more about to see quite a lot. But I feel like the only thing I've been like is look up and it's like, ah, they won damn, again. They're leading they by again. a lot yeah. in this division right exactly. now. So Thatcher Demko almost won a series by himself if they've right. actually got a decent team and Demko's good. That's a it's going to be not a great matchup for out. the Golden Knights. Sounds like I need to get a Canucks reporter. <laughs> you got him coming next week. Coming next week. Don't you worry. Somehow I've got it. Okay, that's better. That's better than some of the things. <laughs> During the summer, we accidentally mentioned Ellie De La Cruz twice, and Danny oh, was like, yeah. "You guys need to talk to the Reds beat writer." <laughs> exactly. To be fair, he was a good interview. Exactly. But nobody cares about the Reds. <laughs> the guy was taking the league by storm. We needed to talk about him. No, we didn't. But he was fine. It was a good interview. I'm just saying. Just because we mentioned the Reds once doesn't mean we need to talk about the Reds. Name another player on the Reds right now. Go. I don't know because Joey Votto's not there anymore. Coming up next, Danny tries to figure out the name of another Cincinnati Red. First and most important, uh, th these are Nike jerseys. I mean, we entered this partnership with Nike because of who they are and the kinds of products that they produce. Everything they've done for us so far has been absolutely 100% successful across the board. Um, the jerseys are different. They're designed to be performance wear as opposed to what has traditionally been worn, so they are going to be different. But they have been tested more extensively than any jersey in any sport. The feedback from the All-Star game last year where the jerseys were worn was uniformly positive from the players. So I think after people you know, wear them a little bit, I think that they're going to be really popular. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. One of the funniest stories in sports right now is Major League Baseball players complaining about their jerseys because Fanatics is now producing the jerseys and they appear to be the cheapest possible jerseys that a team could have. Uh, that was Rob Manfred. First off, he says they're Nike jerseys. They are not Nike jerseys. They are Fanatics jerseys with a Nike logo on right. them. Uh, Nike is allowing Fanatics to use their logo. It's actually very similar to us. We are not ESPN, but we are allowed to use the ESPN, ESPN. name. Yeah. But the three of us, we're not getting a paycheck from ESPN. Right. We're a different company. Almost the exact same scenario there. So they're not Nike jerseys. Um, but, God, I got to read some of these quotes here. Uh, the Athletic had a bunch of their writers ask players what they thought about the jerseys as they're reporting to spring training. And I'll read some of these quotes. Uh, Taylor Ward, who plays for the Angels, said, It looks like a replica. Feels kind of like papery. It could be great when you're out there sweating. It may be breathable, but I haven't had that opportunity yet to try that out. But from the looks of it, it doesn't look like a $450 jersey. So far, thumbs down. Uh, Angels pitcher Carlos Estevez said, when I wear my pants, I feel like I'm wearing someone else's pants. <laughs> it appears the pants might be even a bigger deal than the jerseys. So that's one of the details here. Um, pitchers in particular are huffing about their pants. Before last season, according to multiple pitchers, they had several measurements taken for their pants, which were then tailored. Uh, the process has been simplified, and tailoring is not an option. So like you said yesterday, small, medium, large, right. extra large, double X. That's apparently what it is yeah. for pitchers. And the story actually went into some detail about some different pitchers because some pitchers, like Robbie Ray was an example, like to wear really tight pants. Uh, Fernando Tatis is not a pitcher, but he likes to wear really tight pants. 
And I guess that's not really an option. You just get a size right, and go from there. It's not really customized, which, you know, I don't think that's a massive deal. But if you've had that, if you've been playing baseball for, if you've been in the majors for five, seven, eight years. And, and you've, you've always had, worn the pants then, that you want to wear. And then you show up and it's like, Fanatics is like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. You'd You're like, a large. Yeah. You'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Why? Um, there was one player, I think it was a Dodgers player, who described it as though he was swimming in his own pants. It's like Little League so baseball big. all over. It, yes, that's, yes. That's basically what it is. With the little, with the non belts, yeah, yeah. The elastic around the waist. Oh, that'd be great if they had those. They just had the no elastic belts. waist, yeah, no belts. No that'd belts. be fun. No they got to have the drawstring. Yeah, to exactly. Try and bring it in. <laughs> um, a Cardinals player who, by the way, was not identified. Most of the players were on the record, but this was just an anonymous Cardinals player said, "I think the last names look really bad." Honestly, I saw someone on Twitter said, "This looks like a Walmart jersey," which I think is a good description of it the the name plates are are awful. tiny they for, like yeah rob manford talks about like these are for performance and all that and like maybe the material is going to be more breathable and better in that regard but that has nothing to do with taking away the stitch uh, numbers and no. that has nothing to do with the names going they've shrunk you could in still size. have the names the same way right it's like they they did the cheapest possible thing right. anything they could do to lower cost which shrinking the size of the names, not stitching on the numbers. Fanatics did that. The interesting player, though, to me, is Dansby Swanson because he has a Nike endorsement deal. And according to this story, he reached out to Nike to discuss the new jerseys. I would, too, if I was him. Like, he's not happy, but he's a Nike guy, so he can't just come out and say, these suck publicly. So he reached out to Nike, and then his complaint was, Cubby blue is its own blue, right? The blue on this uniform is a little bit different than cubby blue. So how can we recapture that? So now we've got complaints. The fanatics didn't even do the team's right colors. They just said, ah, I'll blues the same. Blues the blue. Yeah. I can't wait for a team to order new jerseys from fanatics and they come with like a different team's jerseys (laughs) and they can't play a game because they got nothing to wear. (laughs) Which has happened to people. So it probably will happen. You're going to have the Cubs open it up and be like, wait a minute. Why do we have Brewers jerseys today? What's happened?